Disobedience, in the eyes of anyone who has read history, is man's original virtue. It is through disobedience that progress has been made, through disobedience and through rebellion. And this disobedience, while tells us, really is a product of the dehumanization, the alienation, and the hardening of the spirit that capitalism imposes on people. Welcome to Everyday Anarchism. My my guest today, I'm going to try and get this right, is Jaglin O'Donnella. Is that right? Yes, that's perfect. And we are here to discuss Oscar Wilde. Um, especially, I want to cover Oscar Wilde's essay, The Soul of Man Under Socialism. But we, we also will have to talk to him about his, his life, which is a story that probably many of you have a rough sense of what happened in Oscar Wilde's life. But I imagine very few of you, unless you're coming to this podcast already knowledgeable about anarchism, understand his engagement with radical politics. So, Jenklin, thank you so much for joining me to talk about this, you know, truly fascinating figure. Well, thank you, Graham, and, and thanks for the opportunity to, 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 to appear on Everyday Anarchism. It's a wonderful podcast, and um, I'm very happy to speak to you and to your listeners today about, about Wilde. Okay, let's let's go ahead and start. Can you tell us a little bit about his his background mm. and sort of what brought him into <clears throat> radical circles as well as literary circles, of course? Yes. Well, with with Wilde, with his background, um, he's Irish, and uh, I've recently written a, a book on Wilde and, and his politics and how this influences all of his literary writing, his radical politics. And Wilde couldn't be anything but radical couldn't be anything but a revolutionary because being born in the colonial uh, circumstances of Ireland uh, during the 1850s, he was born in 1854 um, to uh, parents who were very prominent in Irish nationalist circles. His mother, Jane Francesca Wilde, uh, her maiden name was Jane Elgie. Um, Jane Francesca Wilde was one of the most famous militant Republican, Irish Republican poets of the 1840s and also uh, she, she wrote essays and, and was a journalist too, uh, calling for, in one essay, Yakta Alia S, the die is cast, she called for a revolution that would overthrow the British, British rule in Ireland. Um, she wrote that essay in 18, 1848, sorry, 1848, uh, at the height of what's uh, been, the, it's popularly known as the, the Great Irish Famine. Um, when the country was starved into total submission by the British. It wasn't a famine because food was produced and exported at gunpoint by the British military. And Jane Wilde recognised this and, and writes a poem, The, the Stricken Land, uh, that ends, We'll arraign ye as our murderers, the spoilers of our land. And it's a poem about the, the dead rising up to point uh, point their fingers at, at the British, who she believed had murdered them. Um, so Wilde was born in the decade following, actually, uh, the, 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 I prefer to call it the Irish Holocaust. It continues well into the 1850s, roughly 1853. Wilde is born a year later in 1854. And Ireland is really, has, has been catastrophically, has been catastrophically affected by this. Wilde is born into this environment, an environment of uh, colonial violence as well. Um, it's a police state. There are more British troops stationed in Ireland in the 1850s, 60s, 70s, 80s than there are in India, which is a far larger uh, colonial uh, possession for the British. And his mother is a very key figure. His father was also a famous statistician, um, writer in his own right as well. He was a kind of Orientalist writer, more of a colonial perspective than Wilde's mother. She was an anti-colonialist. And he was also uh, a, a linguist as well. And, and Wilde, he, he used to sing, um, he used to sing uh, lullabies to Oscar Wilde in Irish, the native language of Ireland, which um, at that time was was also being eradicated by by the British. And 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 the years after the 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 Holocaust of the eighteen forties. Um, so 
His parents were very significant, and this influences all of Wilde's work as well, this, this, this experience of colonialism, of imperial violence. And I suppose we can talk about that as we proceed through the discussion. Um, all of his literary work, I think, is, is, bears that imprint. Um, he goes to Trinity College in Dublin uh, for three years. He attends Trinity um, in 1871. And then in 1874, he wins a scholarship to attend Oxford University. Both at Trinity and at Oxford, he studies classics and excels in both universities. Um, he was fluent in about four languages, Greek, sorry, five, English, Greek, Latin, uh, French and German. We also believe he was, he, he could speak Russian as well. He could certainly read in Russian. He was, by the 1880s, he's reviewing, um, it's either Tolstoy or Dostoevsky in editions that haven't been translated into English yet. So he's a gifted linguist, as was his mother and his, and his little sister as well, um, who, who died at the age of 12 in an accident. Sorry, she died at the age of 12 um, and, and, and um, two half-sisters who, who died in an accident, but uh, his little sister, Azula, dies, uh, dies from fever um, at, the, at, at the age of 12, but she too was a, a remarkable figure in her own right. Um, he graduates with a double first from Oxford in 1878, so he, the Irishman goes to England and conquers Oxford, um, and he, he, he performs famously there. Uh, while at Oxford, he becomes um, acquainted with Walter Pater, the famous aesthete, and the aesthetes are aesthetes, it's pronounced both ways. These are people who believe that art is really the greatest, the highest, the most important pursuit uh, of, of and for humanity. And what really interests me about Wilde, and, and a lot of biographers have, I think, deliberately ignored this, overlooked it, and not included it in their, in their writings on Wilde, Wilde argued that aestheticism, that, that, that aesthetics, that, the, that the, the enjoyment of that which is beautiful, that which is artistic, should belong, should be afforded to everyone. And he, he, he made that very explicit throughout his career. So he had a very democratic uh, belief in that. And, and Wilde was also an individualist, being an, an aesthete or aesthete as well. Um, the, the aesthetic movement championed the individualism of the artist. And Wilde was very interested in this. But I think what gets distorted in Wilde studies is that he saw individualism as a very social practice. Um, and, and this, again, feeds into his anarchism as well. And, and I think that you see this in a lot of the, the really interesting, I think, the best writers of the 1880s and the 1890s, early 1900s, that there's a very interesting overlap between literary practice and, and anarchism as well. And the... The movement, the anarchist movement in the 1880s and 1890s, um, it wasn't a fringe movement by any means. It was certainly central to the, the global transnational uh, re revolutionary political scene. And um, Constance Bontman um, has written some brilliant work on, on, on this in terms of anarchist political organization and journalism and so on. And, and Wilde, I think, was very much central to this. Um, he, he graduates from Oxford, then he, he proposes to uh, the Dublin Society Beauty and his childhood sweetheart Florence Balcom, who um, breaks off the engagement after a short while and then goes on to marry Bram Stoker, who wrote Dracula. Oh, I did, I did not know that connection. Fascinating. Yeah, there's, there's, it's, it's, a, it's, there, it's very, very interesting. And, and, and yeah, and Stoker knew, knew Wilde as well. And this is the interesting thing about Wilde is that he positioned, well, he grew up with, in, in the company of Stoker and, and Florence Balcom. But at the same time, when he moves to London shortly after the engagement ends, he positions himself at the centre of the literary and cultural and journalistic scenes as well. And he becomes quite prominent very quickly. What I found in, in my research for my, my, my recent book on Wilde was that, at, was that at the same time, he's also repeatedly harangued, harassed and condemned and criticized by the British conservative press. They actually, uh, throughout the 1880s and the 1890s, uh, they, they actually describe him as a terrorist, um, as a Fenian. The Fenians were the Irish militant Republicans. For U.S. listeners, I suppose I should explain that Irish Republicans are very different from American Republicans. <laughs> they're the people. <laughs> they're the people who want to establish an independent Irish Republic. Uh, 
an all-Ireland republic across the whole country that would be independent of British rule entirely, influenced by the French Revolution and by the Enlightenment. And uh, so Wilde is, from the beginnings of his career, his literary career in the, in the early 1880s, he's uh, constantly associated with Irish republicanism. And this continues into, for example, reviews of his famous novel of uh, 1891, The Picture of Dorian Gray. It's described as a very Fenian novel by the, the critic William Ernest Henley in The Scots Observer, uh, a charge that Wilde felt he had to answer. Um, he tours the United States and is very successful in 1882. It's a commercial success, but it also draws very considerable audiences too. And again, through the tour of the United States, um, he, is, he is actually criticized, condemned again, as a, his sexuality is also questioned at this point too, which is very interesting. And um, he's described as a, as a, and I quote, dunghill he hen. Um, <laughs> as they're, they're trying to portray him as effeminate physically and, and, and everything. He was quite a big, strong man. And I know, you know, in terms of masculinity, femininity, and all of this, this stuff's <laughs> neither here nor there. But they were trying to construct him as a, as very effete as they had done in the British press as well. But the US press were, were very deliberate with that. There was a lot of lies and propaganda circulated about him. Um, and in the United States, several occasions, he um, he calls for the British to, to leave Ireland, criticizes British rule. And he also, throughout the tour, um, argues that aestheticism is really something that should be enjoyed by and belong to the people, and in particular, the workers. And he argues that, and, and, you know, he's, he's, he's renowned for being a, something of a, he, he dresses in a, in, a, in, a, in a, in the aesthetic fashion. He wears knickerbockers and, 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 and tassels and, 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 and those, those ruffled shirts that I forget the name of and, and, and so on. But um, he argues that uh, this is actually very real stuff. This stuff matters because if we don't have access to art and beauty, um, then what is life? And, it, and it's, it's a bit like the Lawrence textile strike, bread and roses. That's what Wilde argues in the United States and in Ireland and Britain during the 1880s and then on into the 1890s. Um, he publishes collection, he publishes his, his, his first poetry collection in 1881 entitled Poems. In 1878, his, his poem Ravenna won the Newdigate Prize, which was a very, a very prestigious poetry prize at Oxford. And then uh, by the eight, late 1880s, he's, he's, he's writing um, short stories as well that are published in various literary journals and magazines. And the short stories, his fairy tales, are deeply political, very deeply political. Um, they address state violence, economic violence, which is, you know, the violence of capitalism, really, uh, particularly violence against children. And throughout all of this, he's applying, I think, to, within his aestheticism, a very anarchist aesthetic. But his anarchism is formed out of the anti-colonial experience, too. And I'd, just to emphasize to listeners that, that the two aren't exclusive. They're actually, in many cases, um, in many anti-colonial struggles, anarchism and anti-colonialism thrive and flourish together. And it's actually one of the great, you know, I think it's one of the, the very beautiful things about, about, uh, about the, the development of struggles across the world um, that, that and, and, and people as Wilde did uh, learn through experience. And, and then Wilde applied this to his, to his literary, literary writings as well. Um, by the 1890s, then he becomes renowned too as, as, a, as a writer of brilliant social, uh, dramas as well, social comedies really, they're all comedic, all of his plays, An Ideal Husband, A Woman of No Importance and so on. And famously, um, his, his most famous play, um, the, the Importance of Being Earnest. And all of these plays are really political, they're anti-imperial. By the time he's writing The Importance of Being Earnest, like much of the humour centres on bourgeois anxiety about working class organisation and working class revolt as well. And, um, and 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 some of that too filters into the the, the picture of Dorian Gray's novel of uh, 1890 and its serial publication, published in novel form in 1891. Famously, of course, he, he, he in 1891 he 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 meets and falls in love with Alfred Douglas. Um, he, he he got married in 1884. I think it was 1884 to uh, Constance Lloyd. Yeah, they got married in 1884 and Wild. Um, uh, the, a few years later, meets his friend, first 
it's 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 reckoned that Robert Ross, a young Canadian, was his first uh, gay lover. Um, I'm not too sure about that. Again, I think I think that while sexuality was ambivalent at an earlier stage, um, possibly around uh, you know when he starts in, in Oxford and so on too, um, when he starts studying in Oxford. Um, but the he's, he's married in 1884. He and Constance have. Two children, uh, Vivian and, and Cyril is the eldest. Then Vivian follows. Um, he was he was a great father figure to his sons. He, and and and, and uh, recently, to some recent scholarship, Joseph Bristow, who's I think the world's leading wild scholar, he's based at UCLA. Uh, Professor Bristow has pointed out too that that uh, that 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 uh, Constance's relationship with Wilde was was actually more. More, let's say, more open and progressive than traditional biographies have assumed as well. Uh, men would stay over with with Wilde, and 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 she knew about this as well at their own home as well. Um, so Wilde then um, meets Alfred Douglas in 18, uh, 1891, I think it is eighteen ninety one. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, eighteen ninety one is a precise date. And falls madly head over heels in love with this very handsome young aristocrat who's the son of the Marcus of Queensbury, uh, who invents the Marcus of Queensbury rules, you know, the boxing rules. And the father was quite the maniac and um, quite aggressive as well and, and quite a homophobe. And what happens then is that Wilde is drawn into confrontation between father and son in 1895 at the premiere of The Importance of Being Earnest, February. 1895, uh, the Marcus of Queensbury leaves a note for Oscar Wilde with a bouquet of rotten vegetables and addresses this to Oscar Wilde posing sodomite. He couldn't spell sodomite. And, <laughs> <you know, laughs> and, and Wilde takes the, the Marcus of Queensbury to court. He, tries, he, he charges him with libel. He takes a libel suit against him. And during the libel trial, he's, uh, Queensbury is defended by uh by by Edward Carson who goes on to become the leader of the Ulster the really the Ulster the, the north north not even all of Ulster but the northeast of Ireland orange faction uh the unionist faction which still dominates uh politics in some ways and in, in, in the northeast of Ireland today um he becomes a, a champion of the of the imperial cause there later on but he 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 defends Carson appoints uh, a, a number of private detectives to muckrake through Wilde's life, and then Wilde uh, is unable to really deflect this in court. And although he performs brilliantly, constantly the 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 the, the, the focus is on his sexuality. So Wilde then um, withdraws a libel case, and on the grounds of that, he is it's 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 assumed by the British judiciary that that Wilde has actually been as homosexual. And he's charged them with gross indecency under the Criminal Amendment Act, uh, the the Labuschere Amendment to the Criminal Justice Act. Sorry, and he's then tried and sentenced, found guilty, and sentenced to two years hard labour, which he serves in a number of prisons. Um, in prison, he then writes the famous uh, letter to Alfred Douglas, uh, which is, is becomes known as De Profundis from the Depths. In from I think January February to April eighteen ninety seven, and afterward then he writes the ballad. He he also writes the ballad of Reading Jail, which is a famous condemnation of, of of really the capital punishment, still very relevant today as well. So sorry, that's a bit of a drawn out, yeah. potted sort of um, biographical background. I just wanted to emphasise that while through all of this he is deeply political as well. The trial becomes famously remembered or becomes a, a, a landmark trial and and this is where we find I think too with Wilde we find anarchism, queerness, uh, anti-colonialism all coming together and that's what we find in all of his writings and it's a wonderful mixture of all of these things. Okay that's fantastic I think I mean just a few things I want to highlight one is that it's hard I, I think it's hard especially for people mm. who were born in the past 20 or 30 years any honestly anyone who doesn't remember the 1920s or thereabouts mm. to understand I, Ireland we've grown up with I first of all Irish Americans for those who America um, are, are fully in the political and elite ruling class and fully uh, part of 
the white system and the white supremacist system. That was not the case, you know, even up until the Kennedy, the Kennedy presidency, there were still, you know, questions about whether the Irish belonged in America. And then, of course, Ireland and its economic success story over the last few decades has made Ireland, you know, a place where people associate with wealth and power and banks and that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. You cannot be thinking of of that Ireland when you're thinking of the 19th century. It's simply not, I'm sorry, go right ahead. No, no, no. I, th I think you're, you're you're very right. That's something. That's, and and this is, I think this is the best way to read literature too, from our moment in the present, and then to go back to the points in which it's originally written, and to think about these contexts. Um, because yes, the 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 situation with Ireland in the nineteenth century, it it, it was a heavily garrisoned uh, colony. Um, it was ruled through total violence. Um, it was ruled through, there were, I forget the exact figure, but well over a hundred coercion acts. And these are acts, coercion acts allow for internment without trial. They allow for the suppression of entire districts, um, county-wide and larger than counties as well. Um, whole, whole districts are placed under martial law. We have a paramilitary police force then and now um, in, in, in the occupied part of Ireland in the, in the six counties. Uh, we, 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 in Ireland also in this period, we have food restriction and constriction as well. Something that's actually I'm coming back into play as a norm that I'm seeing here. I live in England now and I work here. Um, access to food, access to energy, all of these things are drawn. There's not all of these neoliberal for, forms of neoliberal violence very much draw on the colonial practices of the 19th century. And yeah, and and when we find with the Irish in America, by the time they become, um, the famous term is how the Irish become white, isn't it? Yes. Um, no, is it Noel Ignatius, I think, writes, writes that book? Um, when Wilde goes to the United States, um, he, he, he's confronted, uh, there are a lot of cartoons depicting him as an ape. Um, mm. They're depicting him alongside who, the same, he appears in the same cartoons alongside racist stereotypes of African-Americans mm. as Simeon figures as apes and monkeys and so on. And the Irish are very much, I know this kind of changes as you, as you go from the East Coast through to the West Coast, because apparently by this point, the Irish are becoming well more established in the, in the West Coast, particularly San Francisco, I think. But still these, 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 these and, and, and then they become in control of the city, the police force and, and various things as happens to in Boston, New York, Chicago. Um, but the Irish in the 1880s are very much seen as, yeah, very much seen as from, really from that period of mass exodus of refugees in the United States from Ireland from the 1840s onward, they're seen as, yeah, they're seen as subhuman, um, much in the same way as African-Americans are. Um, and, 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 and these are all solidarities that are worth, you know, worthwhile for Irish-Americans, I think, to, to think about today as well as they read these 19th century texts. I was just reading uh, Thoreau's book Walden recently has memoir and and and, and there's some really really really, really interesting anti-Irish digs and that too the Irish are portrayed as being almost like beast-like with webbed feet and and, yeah, and bogs and so on and but anyway anyway yeah so while while when he tours the United States he he, he really finds himself in the middle of that I'm I'm actually currently writing a book on um, depictions of wild in the United States particularly in San Francisco. Uh, fascinating. Yeah. So any any rhetoric you can think of that's being deployed against, you know, in the U.S. context, de mm -hmm. deployed against, say, refugees from Central and South America or in the in the European context, whether you're talking about refugees from Africa or those mm -hmm. those dreaded Central and Eastern Europeans who were allowed to have crummy jobs in London until Brexit came along. Any, any of that sort of xenophobic racist rhetoric that you can think of in the 21st century, you can find it deployed against the Irish in the 19th century. And that and that can get you a long way towards understanding the radicalism that mm -hmm. Oscar Wilde came out of. Um, mm -hmm. The next thing I want to get to is, you know, this, this milieu that Wilde was in, especially, you know, people like Ruskin, and Morris, people who connected mm. uh, aesthetics and politics. Well, I, I don't know about Ruskin. Morris didn't like the idea of politics, but let's say aesthetics mm. and <laughs> radicalism. And then I think that will get us into this, this text, The Soul of Man Under Socialism, in mm. which he really does, uh, it really is an aesthetic 
document, he really does claim beauty for everyone. And there's mm -hmm. a, I mean, I would say maybe a, Mar a Marxist tradition or whatever you want to say, that there's the, the tradition of socialism that is less concerned with beauty, that is concerned with materialism in its barest and meanest way. This is not a tradition mm -hmm. of socialism that I am, you know, personally that interested in. And someone like Morris, and above all, Wild, mm -hmm. as well as Kropotkin, offers us a, a, a different way. So I thought you could maybe talk about where he's situated with those men and their ideas, and then we can head yeah. to the text itself. Yeah, well, this is the thing. Um, with with Wilde, what we find is a real correspondence in, in terms of ideas with, with uh, Kropotkin. He met Kropotkin on, on a few occasions, several occasions at least. Um, he describes him as the great white Christ coming out of Russia, which is the soul of man under socialism. And he uses that again in some of his letters too. Sorry, it's De Profundis. He, he, he describes him as such in De Profundis, yeah. And from the depths, um, he, 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 he knows, personally knows both he and William Morris. And um, we have Ruskin with whom he works on pro our project, a, a road paving project uh, just outside Oxford as well. Um, and the idea is to, 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 to create a beautiful, a beautiful uh, kind of roadside for, you know, for workers to enjoy and plant it with flowers as well as paving the road and to give the students a, a, an experience of graft as well, I suppose, of some of, of, of work, of labour. Um, and so Wilde is very much in the centre of this, this, this political literary matrix as well. Um, he, he, he's... He is, um, at this time, he is, I'm just trying to remember some of the, the exact quotations. They're all over the book <laughs> that I've written. But, yeah, it's... Yeah, it, it, but he's, he's very close to Peter, well, as, as well as knowing Peter Kropotkin. Um, Thomas Hasty Bell is a friend of Wilde's as well. And Hasty Bell was a Scottish anarchist um, who ended up in Los Angeles. And I had the, the, the good luck to, to work on Bell's papers at the uh, Clark Library in the University of California. At Los Angeles and also at the Huntington Library, um, and he in turn was a correspondent of Upton Sinclair. Mm -hmm. um, and and um, I was just reading *The Jungle* there, Sinclair's uh, novel, um, in which he describes social crime, um, and 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 then moves on to quote from *The Ballad of Red in Jail* about about how these pressures produce you know produce despair and so on. But back in Wilde's time, yeah, Bell was a contemporary of his in London. Bell ends up being arrested in Paris. Also in Paris, he knows quite a few of the French anarchists, including Félix Fignon. Uh, Fignon was a, an essayist, a journalist, editor, and, 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 and author as well. And uh, Fignon's very, very interesting. He was uh, he was charged with uh, terrorist activities in the Procès de Trente, which was the, the trial of the 30. And uh, is that 1894? And it falls, it, it's actually undermined, completely taken apart by Fignon himself through satire, the satirical uh, replies to the to the prosecutors in court. Um, he spends a lot of time with Fignon after his release from prison in 1897. He spends the rest of his life largely in France, but with a few trips to, to Tuscany and Italy too. Um, he is also uh, friendly with uh, John Barlas, a Scottish anarchist and poet. Barlas um, was attended a rally in 1887, which became known as Bloody Sunday, and it was uh, to call for clemency for the Haymarket martyrs, who would, the people who eventually were, were, were executed, the Haymarket prisoners, uh, the accused. And um, the police attacked it and killed two people. Um, there was a mass demonstration involving Irish nationalists and republicans, trade unionists, anarchists, socialists, communists, Marxists. Everybody was there. Uh, charity, charitable types of people, radical Christians as well. And uh, people were um, attacked by British troops, um, but by mounted cavalry. They were beaten. They were clubbed. They were bayoneted. They were throttled and strangled. And uh, poor Barlas um, suffered a head injury. He was clubbed by police constables and never quite recovered. Um, he suffered from uh, emotional mood swings and manic depressive episodes. And in 1891, he, uh, on the 31st of January, 1891, Barnes fires a number of shots at the Speaker's house in the Palace of Westminster. Um, and he's dragged off by police. He's caught with more ammunition and a revolver. And Wilde went bail for... Uh, mm -hmm for for Barlas. Barlas writes to Wilde to thank him. And again, this is again the connection between poetry and anarchism and literature and all of these things in art. 
Um, and he thanks him for his generosity. And Wilde get provided a character reference and appeared at the court hearings to make sure his friend was okay. And Wilde replies, I couldn't have done anything else. The exact quotation that follows, that follows is, we poets and dreamers are all brothers. And it was a great act of solidarity. And, and, and we also have, you know, the, the broader anarchist and, 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 and activist and writerly scene at that point as well. Alexander Cohen, who is a Dutch anarchist who is uh, spending, he's exiled from Paris um, because one of his friends uh, commits a couple of bombing attacks in Paris. Um, Amy Lonry, one of his contacts, um, Cohen ends up in, um, in, in London and he actually writes an article in The Torch. He attended Wilde's trial, according to the Wilde critic Mark Samuel Lasner. And um, Cohen attends the trial and then argues that Wilde is tried on a number of grounds. Um, he's tried for his homosexuality, tried for his Irishness, and he's tried for his literary genius. And these are all three things that cannot be tolerated by the state in this period, by the imperial, the British imperial state. Um, so we have, he, he knows he's a close, he's, he's a friend too with uh, George Bernard Shaw, who's more of a statist anarchist as well, and and and, um, and, and, a, and a very key figure in the literary scene. Uh, William Butler Yeats is also also meets Wilde, and as the young Yeats meets Wilde, the Irish poet William Butler Yeats in the 1880s, early 1880s, and is enormously impressed by him and really looks up to him. Wilde also, when he's in the United States, makes a point of meeting uh, Walt Whitman. Mm -hmm. um, he's also he also likes the row as well, and but he, he meets Walt Whitman and he's speechless, which is unusual for Wilde because he's <laughs> so eloquent. Yeah, um, but he, he's he's um, he, he's speechless. He, he's unable to speak the entire evening after after they meet, and and Whitman really moved Wilde. Whitman, of course, was just brilliant. You know, brilliant. Brilliant poet, and it's interesting to see who with whom Wilde identified and connected. The other anarchist that he knew as, as well in, in France was uh, Adolf Redé. Uh, Redé, he, um, he he helped Wilde draft his play Salome, his later play um, that he writes after. Does he write? Sorry, he writes that in eighteen ninety three, I think. Um, um, yeah, just it's it's one of his mid 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 eighteen nineties plays. Um, and and, and Rete helps him to prepare the drafts of that too. So anarchism is quite key to all of that, and you see that in all of his writing. So he's immersed in this cultural scene, this literary scene, and this this political scene. And I think when you read Wilde, it's worth thinking about these things as not being distinct or separate, but um, as everyday everyday anarchism for these writers. And, and and for that's why I think this podcast is such a great title because it's it's an immersion. You know, it's, a, it's it's something that's shared. Yeah, and it's not. It's it's very clear in the Soul of Man under Socialism that it's there's not going to be a, a a separation between mm. work, art, and life. That these things yeah. are not are not separate things. Which again gets to the everydayness of it. Mm. I mean, I, there must have been people at the time who who uh, le left wing people, socialists, who rejected this. So how does how does Wilde defend the idea of an aesthetic communism. There must have been people who thought that was a contradiction in terms. This is the thing during the US tour in the previous decade, he, he articulates this over and over and over again. And when he goes to the US, he sees, he witnesses the kind of scenes that Upton Sinclair describes in the jungle when he goes to Chicago. He, say, he said he's, there's nothing quite like Chicago for industry, uh, mechanized industry, mass industry, and dehumanization. And, and, he knows all about this from the colonial context in Ireland as well, and 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 so um, and he sees the poverty that's rampant in England too, um, and, and particularly in London where he's where he's living in this period. So he's he's very conscious of this, and 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 he and he argues throughout the soul of social, soul of man under socialism. Sorry, I'll just get my copy here. There's so many, there's Absolutely. so many wonderful quotations. Um, it tells us that uh, let's see here. He starts off by discussing disobedience, um, and it, but he states that there is um, the important thing is for the individual. The important thing for the individual is to make what is beautiful. There's nothing necessarily dignified about manual labor. A lot of it, most of it, he tells us, is absolutely degrading the kind of manual labor that he could see in places like Chicago going on in London and so on, and in Ireland. This is mentally and morally injurious to man to do anything. And this is the important thing, the important part. 
in which he does not find pleasure. Mm-hmm. So work should be pleasurable. And we, you know, this is something that really, I think really resonates today when we look at how, um, you know, how, how, how work grinds people down, um, how it, it destroys the soul, quite literally, as Wilde describes it. Wilde argues that the, the, the most important, really the most important thing for someone to do is to maintain the treasure house of your soul. As he puts it, beautifully and poetically put, and he argues as well that that throughout you know that that throughout one's life, that uh, there's much to be enjoyed, and he tells us that um, just looking here for I have so many quotes here. It's practically my entire copy here is underlined. <laughs> that um, really that that alienation is something that he that he this is something that he writes about a lot, and he tells us that that really that. Um, Work is something that, that ought to be pleasurable, that we deserve to enjoy the work and it ought to be constructive. And he tells us that really in the soul of man, a social under, the soul of man under socialism, that we should not really aim to acquire useful, useless things, but acquire things that, that enrich us uh, intellectually, spiritually even as well. And he was a very spiritual person and he didn't quite see, he didn't see a distinction between spirituality and, 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 and political and political belief as well. This is why Kropotkin's the White Christ. Um, he believes, I think, very much in the kind of what becomes known by scholars later as the kind of the historical Christ, the historical mm-hmm. Jesus, and so on. Um, so he tells us that because of this, the best among the poor are never grateful. They are ungrateful, discontented, disobedient, and rebellious. They're unhappy with the dehumanizing lot they've been assigned. And he tells us that disobedience in the eyes of anyone who has read history is man's original virtue it is through disobedience the progress has been made through disobedience and through rebellion and this disobedience while tells us um really really is a product of really the the the, the dehumanization the alienation and really the 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 uh the 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 the, the really the 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 hardening of the spirit that that, that capitalism imposes on people as well. As I say, throughout the throughout the US tour and then later on in the 1880s, he gives lectures about the US tour, but which are really about this issue as well. He condemns and criticizes capitalism for its, you know, for 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 really wearing people down. Um, and this is again key to his short stories as well. Um, so many of the themes in the soul of man under socialism were already written about in the short stories as well of the late 1880s, early 1890s. I love I love his criticism of, of charity. It uh, it lines mm-hmm. up for me with, you know, I'm a huge fan of Ralph Waldo Emerson, who is in some ways, you know, the, the source yeah. of many of these ideas, especially if you're getting going to Thoreau and Whitman. And Emerson is chided to this day for being mm. against charity and against certain forms of organization. But I would say this charity, and if you look at something like mm. uh, what's that that stupid movement, effective altruism, it's yep. a it's just the flip side of the hardening of soul of of capitalism. It's yep. just taking the money relation. Um, in which it is the superior person's job to extract as much money as possible from people and inverting it. So it becomes the superior person's job of, you know, giving money to people. But it doesn't break that relation of superiority mm-hmm. and and hierarchy. And I can imagine yeah. people reading Wilde and Emerson and thinking, oh, these people are heartless. They're against charity. But yeah. it's so much more radical and beautiful than than charity can conceive of. Yeah, the charity is a huge problem for him because he, he feels that it draws attention away from, uh, you know, from from really, really from the, the 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 material realities, the political realities. If you can somehow maybe I don't know, give bread to someone lying starving in the street, that 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 you're ameliorating perhaps your own conscience, but you're not really addressing addressing the system. We have a we have a big crisis with that now in England at the minute with food banks, England, Scotland, Wales, and. The British occupied part of Ireland, the six counties up in the northeast of Ireland. We have uh, per- people in jobs going to food banks and so on. And yeah. um, so the idea is that, yeah, Wilde Wild saw um, Victorian charity too serving a similar purpose, did it really did deflect from the, 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 the ongoing crisis. Um, and it's in the soul of man under socialism. And he writes about it too in an earlier essay um, on the ch- ancient Chinese anarchist philosopher Chuang Tzu. 
um, and he tells us the Chuang Tzu also had a go at, at, at uh, philanthropy yeah. and so on. And these, these that, that this charity doesn't really change, you know, change the structural the structural inequalities. It tells us that um, the, in the soul of man under socialism, that the promise, that the proper aim of the revolutionary is to reconstruct society, as Wilde puts it, on a, such a basis that poverty will be impossible. Anything else degrades and demoralizes the poor to try and put a stick in plaster on it, Wilde tells us. Um, and, and he tells us that really the operating principles of capitalism, these can't be reformed because they, they always make it impossible. And these are Wilde's words. To, they always make it impossible, quote, to use private property in order to alleviate the horrible evils that result from the institution, yeah. private property. So that's what Wilde argued, that charity found itself in a kind of bind in a circular sort of, um, and really, really, really in a, in a circular motion that was going nowhere. It wasn't progress, it was repetition. And, 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 and it wasn't really, it wasn't really, um, really fixing, fixing the problem. Yeah, when you uh, sometimes I speak to people who work for NGOs and things mm -hmm. like that, and they're they have horrible bosses and and terrible work practices, mm -hmm. and their labor is yeah. they're deeply alienated from their labor. And I think that sounds I think Wild could have predicted that that charity can be, you know, mm -hmm. for the, for the person working in charity, it's just you're just extending the the system in a way that's just mm -hmm. utterly un untenable. This is it. And why asks is there in the, in the soul of man, why should they be grateful to the poor for the crumbs that fall from the rich man's table? They should be seated at the board and are beginning to know it. Yeah. <laughs> As for being discontented, a man who would not be discontented with such surroundings and such a low mode of life would be a per perfect brute. So he's telling us not to be grateful, not to be grateful for these things. And, and this is actually one of neoliberalism's great contracts. And it was one of the, it was Victorian philanthropy. This is work to call there's nothing new or new about neoliberalism it really is it has adapted updated modernized but but the really the practices of 19th century laissez-faire capitalism which was incredibly violent in its own ways and and it's it's rebranded them and that's what we're and this is why wild is always so striking and this is why he tells us disobedience is man's original virtue and he tells us that then to recommend thrift as, as you get from many charities in the 19th century it's all over dickens read charles dickens and as orwell said at dickens it's not a change of system man he's a change of heart man mm. he's, he's an author who wants to change the heart but not the system and wilde answers those those arguments and uh, uh, he tells us that to recommend thrift to the poor is both grotesque and insulting it is like advising a man who is starving to eat less and this is really and the interesting thing about wild studies in the main is that this stuff then becomes, I found, and in reviews of my book as well, so some reviews that came out there recently, but also wild studies in, in, in the mainstream tends to tends to dilute this. So the recent Oxford University Press edition of Wilde's uh, The Soul of Man Under Socialism um, tells us that, okay, Wilde wrote all this stuff, but he didn't really mean it. Mm. It's actually in the editor's introduction. Um, they've actually stated that. Um, the and and, and 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 we get a lot of denialism too about wild's politics and here it is it's in print in front of us and you know and if anybody wants to do the the, the broader contextual work as i've done as well they'll find it yeah wild is part of this grander and what he this grander radical political uh addressing of these issues and and, and the thing to emphasize is that wild's anarchism was not a kind of fringe thing anarchism was very much part of the mainstream of the left it was it was very much it was key to the progressive politics in this time yeah no i think i think that's absolutely crucial i'm i'm saddened but i guess not surprised to hear of the of that denial i mean mm -hmm. it, I, I i do think there's some just resistance to the idea i guess the last thing as we're heading towards the end that that will mm -hmm can we can segue into and this is really important is there is a belief certainly a belief in you know modern progressive circles that you cannot have at least i see this cooperation without coercion your your options are sort of some sort of monstrous Nietzschean individualism, and that's even probably more than uh, Nietzsche would advocate for, but at least what people mm. imagine the the libertarian Nietzsche would want, or some kind of collectivist 
statist centralized option and mm-hmm. and wild i think following kropotkin but putting it even more beautifully thinks that you know to be an individual is to be social mm-hmm. and you can't and it's this is just something that i cannot find getting any purchase right now if people want um people don't want cooperative solutions they want what we might call collectivist solutions mm-hmm. and wild i think rightly has suggested that this is you know the bludgeoning of the people for the people yep. you know, by the people this this is a, 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 a sorry i just keyed in here while while because your your point really reminded me of of of, of another uh, quote from Wilde in his review of Chuang Tzu's collected writings that were published, I think, in eighteen ninety one, um, and, and and he tells us that and this is statism. Yeah, we're always presented with this alternative: either you know this kind of wild individualism, or kind of collectivist sort of statism, socialist statism, mm-hmm. and all of that. And you know, look look at how well that worked out. <laughs> um, and, and you know, you look at you look at Ireland as well, for example, in more recent history as well. We had a very um, we, we, we had a peace process that was underwritten by really violent coercion, murderous coercion as well, um, where state violence was was basically contracted out to uh, former progressives, well, you know, out to party militias and so on on the mm-hmm. Republican side. And it was terrible, a really terrible period um, in the late 1990s and into the 2000s, uh, well into hitting, you know, the mid, up, to, up to almost 2010. And and Wilde addresses these contradictions. You know, he, 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 this is the thing, Graham. He tells us that um, artificial rev- he, call, he, he describes in this review of 1890, 18, uh, sorry, eighteen ninety one, and it's just before he writes the Soul of Man. Um, he tells us that artificial virtues are concealed within the practices of the state. He calls them artificial virtues, just what you're describing there. Mm-hmm. The results he tells us were so dreadful that the government of the day, back in in, in ancient China, had to bring in coercion. And as a consequence of this, the virtuous men sought refuge in mountain caves while rulers of the state sat trembling in ancestral halls. Then, when everything was in a state of perfect chaos, the social reformers got up on platforms and preached salvations from these hills that their system had caused. Socialism. <laughs> yeah. The poor social reformers, he declares, they know not shame nor what it is to blush. And the verdict of Chuang Tzu is upon them. Chuang Tzu was a I think he's, he's also known as Chengzu and or Zhuangzu in China as well, and 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 Mandarin Zhuangzu. He's a fascinating figure, and Wilde was very taken by him, and 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 he argues that that what we have is uh, the 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 coercion of the of 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 the eighteen nineties when he writes this is being colluded in by these reformists as well. Um, and 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 when you look at how things turn out too, you know, with 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 later revolutionary endeavors and, and you know they look at the spanish civil war like as in some ways i kind of got into wild as well and some through reading orwell homage to catalonia mm-hmm. and and it's interesting just to see that orwell detested wild because orwell was homophobic but um you can see that that critique definitely that anarchic critique of of centralized socialism as well and the dangers inherent within it that that, that, that wild is very interested in yeah i i I don't have time to go down this road, but I've been I've been watching some of the Wuxia films, the the Hong Kong films of heroism, and the hero is always, in some ways, anti-authoritarianism. Mm. There's usually a, a a sense that there is maybe a good order that can be restored, but in none of those films is there a good order, and none of them is hierarchy deployed in our you know in this, I would say, Orientalist image we have of mm. of China as this or ancient China or the imagined China mm. as a bureaucratic, authoritarian, orientalist despotism. Mm. When you look at the stories and the heroes and the philosophies that come out of China, it's so often that you don't find that. And I find this, these these anti-authoritarian heroes and philosophers mm. richly developed in every culture of the world and i see it's such a delight to find someone like wild seeing it in these ancient chinese writings because it's it's always it's always there this you know kropotkin calls this sort of like the struggle of of every culture yep. and, and we tend to in my opinion at least from where we're sitting right now in this historical moment we mm. seem to always be looking for the state builders the centralizers, the people who put things, you know, in order, if you want to put it that way. Yep. But I agree with Wild. 
if something yeah. if progress is happening it's probably it's probably disobedience even our superheroes and our even our heroic cops are always defying their superiors we can't even imagine a heroic police officer yeah. who isn't in some ways an an individualist <laughs> anarchist and yet we're told that anarchism has no place in our world yeah, this it has that appeal. You see, to, and I just, I'm just like I just watched Die Hard over Christmas, and, and, and there if, John, <laughs> if John McLean had to listen to uh, whatever Lieutenant, whatever his name was on the yeah. ground, who was barking orders down the radio, uh, Hans Gruber would still be in the Nakatomi Tower, yeah. <laughs> holding everybody hostage. And but it is, you know, and, and 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 that's the interesting thing too, because Kropotkin looks at this, and and Wilde is influenced by this historical perspective, that when we go back. Um, even the you know back back to ancient societies as well um, and, and Christian societies and so on and we see this and and, and we see we see this inherent kind of uh, uh, confidence in one's own judgment uh, one's own um, one's own ability to stand on one's feet and, and and with one's community and and this is actually again this is the great neoliberal and I think Victorian contract as well was to really undermine that faith in the self. And you're seeing that now. We're seeing it all over, all of you know, in terms of the crises that are being cultivated by social media and inflicted in young people, and, and so on as well. Everything's kind of mediated and through celebrity. And and and, and as Wilde said, it's a treasure house, as he wrote. It's in the treasure house of your soul, where you'll find true meaning. Yeah, and I think um, I think you'll find connection there, not through. Mm -hmm. Not through centralization, not through coercive structures, but mm. when when you are a true individual, you will be drawn. Emerson yeah. says this, and Wilde says this too. You'll be drawn to other individuals, and before you know, you have a non-hierarchical community mm. that that of of support, of mutual aid, of solidarity. Yeah, yeah, and, and and when we look at say more recently, the Irish Revolution of the nineteen seventies, eighties, and into the nineties, the death of that revolution was centralization. Mm. When Irish republicanism became hierarchical and centralized, it was over. Yeah, it really was. Yeah, yeah. And Orwell tells that same story about mm. uh, the Spanish Revolution. Absolutely. Mm. Okay. Well, we I, we could clearly go on for a while, but I think um, we've we've done enough. Is there anything else you would like to to share with the listeners? Uh, any sort of parting thoughts? I suppose a parting thoughts. Yeah, just the the the, the you know if people are feeling we, we live in frightening times, um, and uh, we 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 live at it. I have two daughters, and, and and I'm always concerned. And when we think of the future and where things are at are at and where they're going, but to to, to take Wilde's advice on board and to, to trust in themselves, trust their judgment, um, to to build that everyday experience that that you know that you've centered this podcast around as well. Is they're, they're really the treasure house of the soul. To to, to reemphasize that point, it was so beautifully and poetically articulated by Wilde because that's where it's at. You know, that's what Kropotkin believed as well. And that's where, um, you know, that's where all these writers of the 1880s, 1890s, early 1900s and so on, it's where, it's where, where art, it's where art and, 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 and politics is where community collide, where community comes together. And if you, can, if you can build community in your own way, start with three to four like-minded people, that's all it takes, anything's possible. Wonderful. Thank you so much, Jacqueline. Such a pleasure. Thank you, T. Green.